Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone, Sandman here. Someone suggested that I cover Esther Vilar, the author of The Manipulated Man, and do a video about her for my Gone Among MGTOW series. I look at this as part one of a two-part series. The second part will be a book review for her seminal work, The Manipulated Man. But in this part, I'm going to talk about her personal life, as well as her struggles to write her famous book. Why did she choose to write this particular book? And why does she try to reveal to men the controlling nature of women? Her book, The Manipulated Man, was so popular when it was released in the 1970s that she was invited to go to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Her book also came out at a time when feminism was rising in Western nations, and she was part of a small minority of people standing up to it at that time. She argues against what's contemporary and also what's socially acceptable, and says that women oppress and exploit men for their own benefits. She was saying this at a time when women were trying to blame men instead of taking responsibility for their own views. Anyways, getting back on topic, Esther was a doctor in Bavaria, Germany, and she studied both psychology as well as sociology. So she had the credentials to talk about male-female relations because she spent her days interacting with men and women in a professional medical practice, trying to analyze their behaviors. The main theme or thesis that permeates all of her work with regards to male-female relations is the idea that in advanced industrial economies, women are not victims, but instead manipulate men for their own ends. For some reason, Esther was also considered by many people fascist because of her work. The irony is that fascism is also known as national socialism. So fascism more closely resembles communism than people want to believe. And one of the main reasons that people think that she's a fascist is because she wrote a play about Albert Speer, the famous German architect under Adolf Hitler. But her background is German-Jewish, so I highly doubt that she would support the Nazis. Simply because she is against feminism does not automatically make her a fascist. And by many accounts, Albert Speer was sucked up into the Third Reich like many other people because he was afraid of upsetting Adolf Hitler and if he did, then there was a chance that Hitler would kill him and his family. And Albert Speer ultimately went to prison after the war. A war crimes tribunal found him guilty and sentenced him, and justice was basically served. Esther's view on consumer culture mirrors many of the conclusions that I've reached over the last few years. And here are some of her own words to explain where she's coming from. So without further ado, Esther Vilar. As we women have, thanks to our relatively stress-free life, a higher expectancy than men, and consequently make up the majority of voters in Western industrial nations. No politician could afford to offend us. And the media is not interested in discussing the issues involved either. Their products are financed through the advertising of consumer goods. And should we women decide to stop reading a certain newspaper or magazine as its editorial policy displeases us, then the advertisements targeting us would also disappear. After all, it is well established that women make the majority of purchasing decisions. However, I have underestimated men's fears of reevaluating our position. 
Yet the sovereignty that they are losing in their professional lives, the more automatic their work, the more controlled by computers they become. The more that increasing unemployment forces them to adapt ubiquitous behavior towards consumers and superiors, then the more they have to be afraid of the recognition of their predicament. And the more essential it becomes to maintain their illusion that it is not they that who are the slaves, but those on whose behalf they subject themselves to such an existence. As absurd as it may sound, today's man needs feminism more than their wives do. Feminists are the last ones who still describe men the way they like to see themselves, as egocentric, power-obsessed, ruthless, and without inhibitions when it comes to satisfying their instincts. Therefore, the most aggressive women liberators find themselves in the strange predicament of doing more to maintain the status quo than anyone else. Without arrogant accusations, the macho man would no longer exist, except perhaps in the movies. If the press didn't stylize men as rapturous wolves, the actual sacrificial lambs of this man's society, men themselves, would no longer flock to the factories so obediently. Well, that's Esther Vilar in her own words. And from her particular statements, I can get that feminism is trying to promote the idea of macho and rape culture, because without it, it's impossible for feminism to exist. That's why feminists love to attack and vilify the men's rights movement, because it plays directly into their hands. Feminism reinforces men as the perpetrators and women as the victims. Growing up watching news on television, I'd always hear about black men assaulting a woman, or a black man robbing a convenience store. If black men hear it enough, then they start to see themselves as criminals and thugs. And I don't think it was this way before the 1960s. Just as blacks were beginning to gain purchasing power and equal rights, the media vilified them, so that instead of becoming free and successful, they basically fit into criminal roles in mainstream media in the way they were portrayed. Feminism wants men to become worse and not better. They want more rapists wandering the streets because it reinforces the very things that feminism is against. Without this type of male behavior, there would be no reason for feminism to exist at all. Feminists have to justify their own existence and create it. Esther is also saying that not only do women say that they are victims, but they attempt to vilify men so that they go out of their way to act as sexual predators. She says that feminists are trying to create the very monsters that they are trying to stop. This ties nicely into a video I did about a week ago called Iron Maidens. And my thesis in that particular video is that women manipulate men's emotions so that they become aggressive because women are interested in mating with overly aggressive alpha males, much the same way female chimpanzees provoke male chimpanzees to the point where they almost become violent. And at the moment the male chimpanzee is about to hit the female, it's at that point that she basically offers herself sexually and submissively for his release and pleasure. Perhaps making men angry and aggressive is a female mating strategy for humans as well. I also talk about this in that particular video as well. But the idea that feminists are trying to provoke certain types of behavior is potentially dangerous to MGTOW and the men's rights movement. I know that men's rights and MGTOW are helping men free themselves from abusive female behavior through education. But I've often wondered why in the last six months the rise of the MGTOW groupie has been so great. My viewership up until the last few months has basically been 96% male and 4% female. And now it's 92% male and 8% female. Perhaps women are seeing the anger and hostility of men in these types of movements, and they're becoming attracted to such men because those men are emotionally charged, 
and it doesn't take much for such men to turn their anger and frustration at this particular situation that they are facing into sexual arousal. Moving on, this is one of Esther's most powerful quotes. Men have been trained and conditioned by women, not unlike the way Pavlov conditioned his dogs, into becoming their slaves. As compensation for their labors, men are given periodic use of a woman's vagina. Esther made this particular statement after the introduction of the birth control pill and its invention. And it's an interesting statement because there used to be a give and take between men and women in our society. They would allow men periodically to use their vaginas, but in return for their labor, women would basically get pregnant and have to look after children. So the balance of power was more fair in a way. In nature, nothing is free. But with birth control technologies, women are still able to trade their vaginas for male resources and hard work, but they don't have to pay the price of having children. And children were kind of a system of checks and balances between men and women in the past. For most of human history, childbirth was a death sentence for many women. So using a man for his resources meant certain death for a huge chunk of the female population. The fear of death meant that women didn't give away their sexuality as freely as they do today. It's not that it was sacred, but instead it was a matter of life and death. But getting back to Esther Vilar, I found another one of her quotes, and it made me think about pornography. And this is her quote. A woman will want a man to be exclusive to her in a relationship, not because she cares about losing him to another woman, but because she wants to more easily control him. The conditional statements she makes are designed to be unquestioned, morally sound, and mask her real intentions under the guise of love. If you love me, then you won't have sex with another woman. She is not interested in exclusivity as much as her being the only one he can turn to for sex and sexual intimacy. If his actions cause her grip over him to weaken, she makes him feel guilty by feigning that he has emotionally hurt her and labeled him a cheater. Well, back in 1973 when she wrote The Manipulated Man, pornography was only coming to the scene in the form of magazines and adult movie theaters and movies. But today, pornography is everywhere, and every single woman I've been with tried to get me to stop watching pornography. I made my former partners aware that I wasn't interested in cheating on them with other women, but they saw pornography as a form of cheating because they saw that they were losing their grip with regards to attractiveness for me. But that was not the case at all. Pornography often enriched my sex life because I would often fantasize about the women I saw in porn while having sex and enjoying it with my partners. But the one time I dared to bring this up with a girlfriend, she basically flipped out and got pissed off at me. Esther Villar also wrote another book entitled The Polygamous Sex, A Man's Right to Other Women. In that book, she was trying to say that men had the right to cheat on women. And you know what? When I was in a long-term relationship, if I didn't have porn to satisfy my sexual cravings, I probably would have cheated. I'm not saying that I'm an asshole, but I'm saying that I understand myself. And I understand myself enough to know that gazing only at one naked woman in 10 years is more than enough to make most men go crazy. But maybe it's just me. Probably not. Anyways, another interesting fact. Esther Vilar is the first person in my God Among MGTOW series that is still living, although she's well in her 80s today. Not sure why I'm sharing this with everyone, but it's just an interesting fact. Well, that's all I've got to say with regards to Esther Vilar. At some point in the future, I'm going to make a video review for her book, The Manipulated Man, as well as touch up on some of her other works. But that does it for today. So thank you everyone for taking your daily dose of red pills. And enjoy the rest of your day, and cheers.